Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll feature Adam Engst of Tidbits. We'll talk about the Stop Online Piracy Act and the controversy around it. We'll also be featuring Sean Brown, the Vice President of Sonic Foundry, about a new online presentation solution. And then we'll hear from Dan Morin of Macworld Magazine. All this and more this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. Adam Inks of Tidbits joins us. You go to tidbits.com to find more. Now, Adam, you were telling me before we got started that I guess you and Tanya were playing the role of Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus? (laughs) Sort of a geek approach to Santa Claus. Um, Like many people, I'm sure, um, in this industry, we had old technology stuff sitting around, some old iPods, you know, like the white ones with the click wheels and things, perfectly functional. There's nothing really wrong with them. Just, you know, when you've got an iPhone in your pocket, what do you need an old iPod for? They'd been sitting on my desk for a while, and Tanya also had an old PlayStation 2 that she'd gotten years ago, thinking she might play Dance Dance Revolution, but turned out she couldn't handle the modern music that came with it. You know, so we had these things sitting around, and I'd been planning to put them on FreeCycle because they have no actual value. If you tried to sell an old iPod, you might be lucky to get five bucks for it. There's no value there. It's not like a Mac. You sell an old Mac, three, four years old, you get half what you paid for it. Yeah, you, I mean, you at least get something. I mean, you know, minimum you're going to get a couple hundred dollars. But for an old iPod, you really aren't going to get anything. But at the same time, you also can't hand them down. It used to be like Macs, you can hand down pretty well because it's often that you'll know someone who doesn't have as good a Mac or doesn't have one at all. That's sort of easier. But again, on iPod, pretty much everyone you'd know would either have one or not want one by this point. I'm, I'm a big fan of FreeCycle, which is this very loose-knit set of groups that basically run a mailing list, and you post on the mailing list and you say, hey, I have this thing. Who wants it? And other people who are on the list send you mail privately saying, I want it. You pick someone. You make an arrangement. They come. They get it. They take it away. End of story. It's simple. It's easy. It's low tech. I mean, this is all done via mailing lists, for goodness sake. But it's a great way to get stuff, useful stuff, back into use. Now, you want to talk about the whole, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle? Well, recycling is great, and certainly you shouldn't be throwing computers out because of all the nasty stuff in them. But isn't it better to reuse them if they're still functional? Isn't it better to get someone actually using them? What I did differently with this, and I've, I've gotten rid of a bunch of stuff over the years in FreeCycle, but what I did differently this time was just, it was just this happen, happenstance thought was, oh, I'm giving away an iPod. I'll bet some kid would like that for Christmas. And so I, when I posted to FreeCycle, I said, please reply to me only you know, to get this, only if you can give this to a child who would not otherwise receive such a present. You know, it's not uncommon to get a couple of responses for anything you post on FreeCycle, but this one, I was just inundated. I mean, I got like 20 or 30 or 40 responses um, to these messages. And because I had sort of said, I want to know that this is going to a kid, I got people's stories. I have to say that it was just in some ways heart-wrenching because the commonality of the stories was single mother, multiple kids, working two jobs, and obviously couldn't afford presents for their kids. It was just, uh, it was just heart-wrenching. And, and so, you know, I ended up, you know, picking the people I thought were sort of the most appropriate, you know, like one person had a five-year-old boy. And I thought, you know, five-year-old boy doesn't really need an iPod. Whereas, you know, or the woman who had, uh, you know, t- uh, teenage daughters, 
you know, that's a m- more of a situation where for kids that age, an iPod is probably a much bigger deal. I said everyone was just incredibly um, grateful for this in, in a nice way. You know, it was really that, you know, this is something they hadn't anticipated being able to do for their kids. And the other thing that happened that has never happened before in FreeCycle was I got mail from other people on the list who didn't want the iPods, but who were thanking me for doing it. That, they, that no one had seemingly thought of this simple thing before of, of using FreeCycle as a way to, to get stuff to you know, the deserving children. And it was, so that was just uh, sort of incredibly gratifying. And I ended up, you know, writing a Tibbetts article about it, which unfortunately was, was too close to, uh, you know, it was after our last issue, email issue of the year went out. So I'll have to wait till next year to really promote it heavily. But I just think it's, you know, it's a, it was a brilliantly simple idea because again, these things had been sitting on my desk for years and now they're being used by kids who would never have had a chance at using one. You know, it's easy to sort of, you know, to donate a little money to charity or, you know, to buy a toy at a store and give it to, you know, put it in a box. You know, the policeman will, will distribute it or something like this. But this felt like it was both a little bit more personal because I knew that the kids were getting it were going to want that thing and felt a little bit better in the sense of getting stuff off of my floor and off of my desk and out back into the world where someone would enjoy it. Thank you, Santa. <laughs> So yeah, so everyone, please next year round up your old dead. Ele- your old, I won't say dead because it's got to be working, but your old electronics that you just don't have any use for, and give them away. Get someone else using them. Okay, you got an idea. Maybe next year, what we should do is possibly a month or so before Christmas. Yeah, we talk about it and see what happens. Absolutely. Hmm. Let's move on to some of the interesting stories. But one came in connection with the world's largest domain registrar, which is GoDaddy, and I don't want to give them any more publicity than they get from all the money they spend for marketing. But it's all about something called Stop Software Piracy, which is some kind of act that's wending its way through Congress. There is a version in the House. There is a version in the Senate. And there's a lot of controversy. Some suggest, well, this is just something that was fed by the entertainment industry. Yeah, this is this is the Stop Online Piracy Act or SOPA. You'll start seeing the SOPA acronym online. And basically what it does is it gives much greater power to publishers of content to uh force that content to be removed um without proof of anything or sort of any recourse if it's found on uh, found on some internet server and sort of just kind of egregious level of power to protect these in this this you know there's kind of digital intellectual property and this is a, kind of a tough one for me because I'm, I actually understand both sides of it. If you look at the companies who are who are supporting this bill, it's a who's who of music companies, record, um, you know, uh, publishing companies, magazine companies, just anyone who's got online content. They want to see this kind of this kind of power given back to them so that they can hopefully stop all of their stuff from being pirated. On the other side, you see pretty much everyone else on the internet. Google, Facebook, Twitter, you know, certainly all the other, all the big guys in the, on the internet, because one of the problems is that once you give huge amounts of power to any one group to control what can and cannot be put on the internet, 
then you create this sort of unequal situation where one group can can significantly cause others to uh, to act the way they want. And we certainly run into this. Um, didn't for a long time. For many years, we had none of our take control books showing up on file sharing sites. And then a few years ago or a year or so ago, that changed. And all of these file sharing sites, um, that, you know, that just all they do is have, you know, pirated movies and books and software and all that. They started carrying our books. And the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, is actually sufficient for getting these companies to take down the pirated stuff. If the now, how does it work? What's the mechanism behind the Digital Millennium Copyright Act? That's the problem, actually, is that basically you have to file what is called a takedown notice. Any legitimate site will give you instructions on how to do that, and usually it's just sending email. But a few of them, you have to fill in this complicated web form. Um, to do it, which is annoying and painful as well. And a, uh, a takedown notice has just a basically a, a legal legal sounding letter that says, "Take down my content. I you know I certify that I am the owner of it." And I've automated this, so I have you know keyboard maestro macros that I just hit you know after I copy the URL of the bad of the of the page that has my have my book on it. But the problem is that it, you have to do this for sort of every time. You have to you have to do all the work of going and finding your pirated content and notifying them for each individual item, and which I find tremendously irritating. And so and I'll this tell you what: we'll go into more of how the Digital Millennium Copyright Act works and what's good, bad, and ugly about it with Adam Inkst of Tidbits on the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> Do you know that Where To is a worldwide location finder for the iPhone? It allows you to easily find the closest and best rated restaurants, shops, and services with an easy, intuitive interface. And my personal favorite, an augmented reality view to see the results in 3D. You can find it at the App Store or from this direct link, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O. Check it out. Hi friends, this is Jeremiah from Zeobit, the makers of MacKeeper. MacKeeper is a bundled software of 16 of the most important system utilities all located in one place. It's a really powerful and cool application that includes anti-theft, antivirus, data encryption, you can undelete files, back up your data, and so much more. We offer lifetime customer support with every license, and we really do care about you and your Mac. For more information, check us out at MacKeeper.com. Once again, that's MacKeeper.com. Hey everybody, Jason Lewis here once again. These are hard times for investors. If you're like me, you just don't know where to put your money because there's a downside to every possible scenario. Now look, every portfolio needs a hedge for inflation. Gold has been the classic. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, commodities fluctuate. So you could lose money. Gold goes up and down. But every stable portfolio usually has an inflation hedge and gold is, well, the gold standard. Washington is not going to get us out of this recovery so you've got to protect yourself. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but it's lost a lot of its value since then. Call Midas Resources today, 1-800-686-2237 for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. 
sure, there are winter specials. And then there are super winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Battle through this cold and flu season with powerful, natural, and safe flu fighters like elderberry power, oregacillin, all of leaf capsules, grapefruit seed extract, and Resper 8, all specially priced during the winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Don't forget vitamin D3 this winter. Right now, HerbalHealer.com has 120 soft gels, 1,000 IUs, sale priced at only $9. We also have a super winter special on six homeopathic liquid detoxes, whole body detox, liver detox, kidney detox, lymph detox, brain detox, and lung detox. All liquid detoxes, regularly $26.95, are now just $20. HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free 128-page catalog with your order. Log on now and save big when you hit the winter specials at HerbalHealer.com. Healing the world with nature, one person at a time, since 1988. Listeners, it's Jason Lewis, and now that the holidays have come and gone, it's time to get serious about our New Year's resolutions. For 2012, resolve to protect your most valuable asset, your family. Daily, we hear about all the crazy stuff happening around the world, unemployment, food shortages, natural disasters, just to name a few. For my preparation, I recommend wisefoodstorage.com. Wisefoodstorage.com offers delicious ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff that are packaged for freshness in individual metal mylar pouches and carry a 25-year shelf life. Visit wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample. And for a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's wisefoodstorage.com or call 855-FOODWISE. That's 855-366-3947 and enter promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Peace of mind, the greatest gift you can give to the ones you love. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Adam Inks of Tidbits on the Tech Night Owl Live. We're talking about the SOPA law and its prospects, but we're going to go back first to talk about the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So if someone is basically pirating 27 of your items, you have to send 27 takedown notices. Yes. Or, Ugh. I mean, technically you could find – you could do each, you could do all of them in one, but you've got to then you know, go collect 27 URLs, paste them all into this message. It, it takes a lot of time. And then what well, – the other problem is is that the way these online um, file sharing – it's not really the file sharing sites themselves, but the, there's these sites that are kind of directories of the file sharing sites. And the way they work is, is that they will download a file from one file sharing site and then upload it to all of the others so they have kind of redundancy. And so what you'll have to do then is you'll have to you – know, if, if you know, they copy one of our books, it'll be copied to five or ten sites. And so I have to follow the link to each of those sites and do whatever the little hoops are you have to do to file a DMC takedown on each of those sites. So this is a lot of work. So we're and talking here maybe each item may have to go to 50 different places. There's no it, central repository where oh, totally. you can send I mean, these out. I mean, I have a list of all of the ones I filed takedown notices on. It's probably, oh, I don't know, five or 600 
um, of these that I've filed. And it, partly I've automated it so it keeps the list too. <laughs> so what do you do now? Do you just automatically send the takedown notice to all the places you know about even if they no, didn't have it there? You have to, you ha- it has to be specific. You can't send a takedown notice unless you have an, um, evidence of infringement. And so you have to find the page on their site that provides the download link and then, you know, and then file it against that page. Now, do you go to the offender? Do you go to the ISP? Do you go to the web host? Who I receives usually- this? Usually you just go to the offending file sharing site. The directory sites are often not in the U.S. and they have no contact information at all. They're not probably real companies in any way, shape, or form. They're just, they're just, you know, they're just trying to set this up to kind of scan the system. So there's, there's almost no way to, to do anything about them. But they seem to be, cease to be a problem if you can actually take down the source of the files. And all the file sharing sites are sufficiently real that they will, in fact, take it down. I and mean, they all say what their DMCA policies are and, and give you contact information. Not always easy, but it is possible. Okay, but so, the point is that it's ungainly. Oh, it's, it's terrible. Um, it's okay. just awful. The only thing that made this a little bit better was that about four or five months ago, Google actually changed their search algorithm to deprecate these sites. So for a while, it wasn't a big deal because you, you know, initially you'd say, oh, well, it's not a problem. You know, it's going to find this. And then suddenly these sites started popping up in the Google search results. So if someone searched on, you know, take control of upgrading to Snow Leopard, right after our hit would be the first one, you know, on that same page would be some site you could download the book for free. And that was what was really getting us. Luckily, Google's changed the search algorithms, knocked all those sites off the, off the search lists. The result. So that way, even if the files are still there, we're not really worried about people getting them hugely. Okay, uh, so now let's look at the Stop Online Piracy Act. Yes. Now, how is that intended to fix this problem? Because there's got to be a problem. There's got to be an easier way for the person who was infringed upon or the company to protect their rights. Well, and see, the problem is that what SOPA did is it just made everything far more egregious. And so now where it's sort of overly, it's too hard for the person whose content is being stolen, what SOPA would do is it would make it so if I I could basically just file a, this is all theoretical because it didn't happen, but I could, you know, file a complaint and, you know, if that was upheld in some appropriate way, it would Kill the, it would take down the domain for that site. The domain would be taken from them. All of their credit card accounts and merchant accounts and those things would, would be closed, and they would be taken out of search engines. So it goes from sort of too, too harsh on one side to going nuclear on the other. You know, that's not reasonable either because, you know, if you're, you know, one of the reasonable sites, um, the file sharing sites, and they do have legitimate uses, you don't control what people upload, it's, in other words, it's not the file sharing site if someone uploads something that's copyrighted. Right, and, but even if you are just the host, don't you bear responsibility for illegal content on your site? That's just it, as you don't now. This has been one of the major principles of kind of how the internet works, which is it's kind of the, it's, it's sort of the common carrier principle that AT&T is not responsible for what conversations take place on their phones. That was made you know, many, many years ago and has been upheld frequently in terms of the internet. You're not responsible what, what email goes through your servers. You're not responsible for what files are transferred because the providers all say, look, we can't possibly do that level of 
surveillance. And that's NSA-level stuff, you know, where you have to be reading every email message and decoding every Skype call, such as this one, to see if we're saying something bad. What SOPA does is it basically eliminates that kind of protection for the file-sharing sites, again, some of which are legitimate businesses. And really, even companies like Google could be liable for this sort of thing. Google runs lots of services where you can store information, and Google can't know what that information is. I was thinking also, for example, you run a link in a message board. Someone runs a forum on their site, as a lot of us do. And somebody posts a link, which seems benign. But if you follow the link and you check every element of that link out, it's to a pirated copy of somebody's book. Maybe a take control book. Mm-hmm. So by allowing that post to be on a forum, posted maybe innocently by somebody saying, hey, I found this. It's really cool. Check out this book. I could get myself in trouble this way? Yeah. Ooh. Yep, precisely. That's why I say it's troubling for me because I do see both sides of it. But at the same time, you know, just as it's a royal pain to file DMCA takedowns now, and I think it's not tremendously effective, there are certainly places that just ignore me because they're in Russia. What do they care about the DMCA? But on the other side, it is just insane to be able to say that you can go nuclear on a site just because some person who they have no control over uploaded something they couldn't have known was a pirated copy of an ebook or a song or a movie or whatever. You basically, therefore, somebody who's in a small business and he has a site on there to discuss basically his product and maybe just have people do chatting about different things, suddenly mm-hmm. he has to have a 24-7 staff on there to check every post. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, it's a, and even then, it's crazy because what if, you know, the post in turns it seems to be entirely innocuous but in fact what's and what's linked to is you know a, a compressed file but it turns out that when you you know compress it and you have to know the past whatever this kind of stuff is boom it's a it's a situation where there's copyright material behind that in other words it's not even necessarily possible for a person to determine what is and is not copyrighted and and to know what to do so you cannot win um there's just no chances so basically speaking here, if you're just a small person, a small business person, and you get caught in the crossfire between this alleged infringement, you could find yourself going out of business just trying to defend yourself. Is that what we're talking about here? I'm going to have Adam answer that question in our next segment on the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. When it comes to running a successful business, there are many things you have to get right. But one thing is often overlooked, and that's protecting the data that powers your business. Computers, servers, external hard drives, and even tape backups are vulnerable to failure. In the U.S. alone, over 140,000 hard drives fail each and every week. According to one study, only 7% of companies that lose their data centers for 10 days or more survive beyond the year. So I want to tell you about our friends at Mosey, the 
most trusted name in online backup. Give our friends at Mosey a call. They've been doing this for a long time and run the most secure, most trusted online backup service. Right now, you could save 15% by using the promo code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. Call 877-669-9776. That's 877-669-9776. Or visit MoseyPro.com. That's M-O-Z-Y Pro.com. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. In the event of an emergency, do you really trust Obama and the federal government to provide for you and your family? Modern-day emergencies like floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, snowstorms, terrorist attacks, or anything else can strike anywhere, leaving your family vulnerable. That's why you can't afford to be without emergency food supplies. If you're like most people, you know that you need emergency food supplies, but you keep putting it off. So, to help you, Ready Reserve Foods is offering a free sample kit of emergency food so you can test our food for yourself. The food really is free. You simply pay for the shipping and we'll send you the food for free. To get your free sample kit of emergency food, simply call 800-453-2202 or visit readyreservefoods.com. Again, that's 1-800-453-2202 or readyreservefoods.com. Don't wait. Call now because the free sample kits are limited. So call 800-453-2202 or readyreservefoods.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Adam Inks of Tidbits is here. And the question asked in our previous segment, you end up in the crossfire for 
this particular law if it comes to pass. You can find yourself out of business very innocently just because you ran a message board and somebody posted something that, well, you didn't check thoroughly or you didn't have time to check it or that sort of thing. Let's be real. This is this is something any any kind of internet service where people can upload content is is potentially in this in the situation, and at the most extreme level, um, one of the things that SOPA did is internet service providers and payment processors could cut you off simply because they think this is what you're doing. They don't even need the content owners to say, "Hey, look, this guy's being a bad actor." It creates this just horrible, horrible situation. And it doesn't look like from what I've been hearing that SOPA is going to pass in its current form. But the question is, is what compromises will be made and will they in any way address the actual problems that people are worried about? Okay, so now we have the version in the House. We have an equivalent version in the Senate. And they've made changes. But like everything else, how do you basically set things right. Would it have been better to take the existing acts and maybe enhance them rather than have something like this, which is so draconian that as we see innocent people end up in the crossfire and suddenly they're put out of business? Yeah. I think that, I mean, what's what's not done well with the DMCA is that there aren't basically lists where you can you can say this is my kind of content you know and you know do not accept this or um, you know there's no way there's no way to to lump things together in an easy way so every time I see an ebook show up on these file sharing sites I have to deal with it individually and fresh there's no contact I have with these companies there's no there's no way I can say you know it happened again please take care of it I can't give them a list of titles and just say please make sure these titles don't appear there's nothing along those lines and so you know I don't have an answer personally to this to this problem but i do think that there is something that there are ways that it could be done where the two sides of the of the issue you know the file sharing sites or the sites where site you know where content can be shared and people whose content is being stolen could get together to make it make a system where this could be eliminated as a problem well so basically this bill should just die <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's be real about it it should just die because it, you know again we need solutions not you know not weapons and and sopa is basically just a huge weapon in the hands of one side of the de- of the of the uh, the problem all right so this makes things awfully complicated here and as you say it may just be Part of the problem that these content owners were trying to be too draconian, and in the end, they screw themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think that the you know the other thing that perhaps you know companies need to figure out is how do you create business models where people don't want to do this. That is one of the things that Apple did pretty well with iTunes. I won't say that music sharing has gone away since iTunes because it hasn't. Um, But that realistically, when you create a situation where prices are, are affordable and the ease of access is simple, then people are much, much more likely to pay for the content. And you know what we've got instead you know in in again in the ebook world is particularly bad all of the big publishers are doing serious drm and the digital rights management 
makes it difficult for people to do what they want to do. And so they're much more likely to go to pirated versions of things to get around the DRM as much as to get a copy for free. There you go. So <laughs> let's hope this doesn't pass. As I said, just because a law is being considered by Congress doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be changed drastically before it comes to pass or we never come to pass. You know, they basically review hundreds of bills and they never come to pass. Now, we know that the content aggregators, the search engines, everything else, Twitter, Facebook, I believe, Google, they are all against this bill. Yes. And that's actually, I think, a, a really good thing because one of the problems when you, you run into with all of these situations with Congress is that if one side of a of a, a controversy has all of the lobbying power, then it can be difficult, you know, particularly if it's a situation where it's you know corporations versus individuals, the individuals are usually going to lose because they don't have nearly the kind of representation from the nonprofit organizations that the lobbyists for the big companies can wield. Um, on the other hand, when you've got you know, Google, Facebook, and Twitter um, aligned on one side against all of the publishers and, and rec- recording companies on the other – you know that's much more of a of a of an equal i don't want to say an equal fight because it doesn't really come down to that but they have the other both sides are getting their fair say in uh, in the lobbying approaches to congress well, let's hope that sanity will prevail or nothing will happen but let's <laughs> look at a theory if we were to forget about this law okay stop online piracy act and the senate equivalent goodbye We take the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Can we do something to that to simplify it, to make it more useful for people who want to protect their intellectual property without inconveniencing people and taking into account that people make mistakes? Yeah, I really think that any company whose primary business you know, is file sharing of some sort or whose whose service can easily be used to do this could I mean you could even imagine a service that you know that that the government would run, you know, the copyright office would run or something like that, where stuff would be registered and where, you know, that basically multiple parties could all check on. And so if something was registered with the copyright office, then there would be a way to at least possibly identify it automatically and 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 say this you know this cannot be transmitted without without the permission of the rights holder i mean what's what's for those of us who've been around for a long time what's a little too bad about all of this is that the the guy who actually came up with a whole lot of kind of the hypertext theory way back way back when a guy named ted nelson um in his original proposed system which was never never created um he had the concept of that all content would would always be anything you wrote or created would always be marked as being owned by you and that people could copy it but all fees would always you know for the parts that were copied would always go back to you and so if you copied a portion of it you'd get a portion of the fees things like that and so he'd actually in essence predicted that this kind of thing was going to happen because you know if you make a movie or whatnot then you know 
it's not really fair that someone else gets to be able to take it and give it away for free um, and presumably make money in some other way on doing that. And so his system would have eliminated that from the very beginning. You know, we have the web as it is, and that no, there is no such uh, concept of of marking content in that way. And probably it's way, way too late to do anything <laughs> about it now. I mean, right now we have billions and billions, and yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, even I mean, more I mean, items on there. And just to go back and try to go back and do what we did, it's too late. We have to figure a better way. But the question is, is there a better way? And if you just use the hammer approach. The hammer and the blade is not going to do it anyway. Maybe you just have to sit back and say, you know what? We've got to tolerate this, but let's make it easy for people to take care of the extreme cases and then make the products or services available to customers in a way that's convenient and they aren't going to feel that they have to go to pirate sources. Yeah. Kind of like Apple did at least with music and to some degree with movies. We have Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books coming again on the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough smokers are you still smoking traditional cigarettes are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior staining your teeth and getting ashes everywhere why 
when you can be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. Long-range patrol ration entrees. If you know survival, you know LRPs are the undisputed king of military rations. Hands down the best for your bug-out bag or survival pack. To go farther, faster, and carry more food, there's nothing better than a Brick Pack LRP cold-weather ration entree. Nothing. Now, the Freeze-Dry Guy is offering a limited-time deal on thousands of fresh LRP entrees. We're talking a menu of tasty and nutritious beef stew, chicken and rice, chili mac with beef, spaghetti and meat sauce with 20 entrees per case. These fresh 2011 LRPs are U.S. government contract overruns, perfect for long-term storage. But they're going fast at FreezeDryGuy.com. Far superior to MREs, long-range patrol entrees are about a third the weight of an MRE, with about a third more meat than the finest commercial freeze-dried entrees. Ask about multi-case discounts and free shipping when you call 866-404-3663 today. That's 866-404-3663 or freezedryguy.com. Your source for survival food in an uncertain world. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Adam Inkst, Take Control Books and Tidbits at tidbits.com. And we were discussing the Stop Online Piracy Act, wending its way through Congress and the House and the Senate, and whether it's just too draconian, whether innocent people can find themselves caught up in something that they didn't anticipate, and suddenly they're out of business. They're branded as pirates, you know, and it's not like Captain Hook. It's the kind of thing where... You know, they could find themselves in really serious trouble. Let's set that aside. Let's pursue one or two more things with Adam Inks. There was a story that came up just before the end of the year, the top 10 tidbit stories of 2011. I wanted to cover a couple of them because I wondered about them, why these would be the top stories. But before we do that, I think one story, obviously, was the one about Rosetta and Lion Get Over It. (laughs) Now, this is something I'm seeing because a friend of mine just bought a new Mac Mini running a West 10 Lion, and suddenly he's trying to run a couple of older apps, and he's saying, why am I getting this message about (laughs) PowerPC software not being able to run? So what happened here? Why would Apple have done this? Is it because they just feel you have to leave the past behind? Rosetta, of course, was the utility that lets you run PowerPC software on an Intel-based Mac. I really do think that Rosetta was something that Apple could have brought over to Lion if they had so wished, but they felt that it was important to keep things moving forward. And 
you know, giving people, you know, reasons, reason, you know, getting developers reasons to use, support new technologies, uh, giving people reasons to buy new Macs, frankly, all of that. And, you know, I don't think I agree with that, honestly. In this case, I think it was, it was not helpful to cut off all of those old programs because people usually know when they are relying on something that is just too old. And usually those programs start to die on their own. So, you can only keep these old things going for so long as you move forward. And, you know, on the other hand, maybe there was a technical reason. Maybe there was something in Lion that made Rosetta unstable or um, caused performance problems or who knows what. Apple has never said anything about it. So it's hard to, hard to know what was going through their collective minds. Regardless, we have the situation. It's happened. And this is one of the reasons why a few people I'm in touch with, I caution them not to go to Lion. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've had very much the same thing where, you know, when I'm talking to user groups and people say, should I upgrade to Lion? And, you know, I, my general answer is you will upgrade to Lion. But, you know, when that happens is a matter that's up to you because you will lose certain things, such as Rosetta, but, and you will... The, some of the things that you will gain may not be that important to you. A lot of the new iOS-like features in Lion, frankly, don't make a big difference. People have been using Macs for a long time. So, you know, for instance, one of my I, I have two Macs that I use all the time: a MacBook and a Mac Pro. And the MacBook is on Lion, and the Mac Pro is on Snow Leopard. And yeah, I could upgrade the Mac Pro. I don't need to stay on Snow Leopard. There's a few things I use that I would um, that I would lose, like Acrobat Seven for one task I perform. But you know, it's not it's not like I feel like I'm missing out on anything. So I just haven't gotten around to it. And you know, what I think you know that the whole Rosetta and Lion, you know, get over it article. What our 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 author who wrote that, Michael Cullen, was was expressing was that you know it's easy for people to be glib about how, well, it's, Rosetta's gone, you should just get over it. And, well, you know, that's certainly one approach, but you also can feel let down by the fact that Apple had this great technology that enabled you to keep running this old software for a long time. And, you know, you can feel betrayed or, or, or disappointed or let down, and that's totally legitimate. You know, that Apple, you know, could have done a better job. They, didn't, they never said anything about it one way or another. It was, it was purely one of those things where Rosetta Stop, you know, was never in the betas and or developer previews, and it never appeared in the final release. And poof, nothing. No, no word, no explanation, no nothing. Apple should certainly say something when they make, drastic changes like that. Of course, the biggest problem for people, I guess, is using Intuit's Quicken. Because it yeah. was a Quicken 2007. And Quicken 2007 was a PowerPC app that had all the basic features you expect with Quicken. So what Intuit does is they come up with something called Quicken Essentials, deciding that certain features were not essential, such as online bill pay. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know the old uh, Charlie Brown cartoon where Lucy is holding the football for Charlie Brown and she pulls it away every time as he k- k- tries to kick it? This is, I mean, Intuit, is, Intuit just does this over and over again where they really like to hold the football and then pull it away at the last minute. And so, you know, they, they've more than, on more than one occasion, you know, th- stopped having support 
support for the Mac and brought it back or stopped having support for this program and brought it back. And so they've now just done the same thing. Where And also oh, their CEO you know, is sat on the board of Apple. <laughs> It doesn't yeah, make sense. So it's, not like they, it's not like they can get away with ignorance or something. Oh, Apple, who knew they were being popular these days? I mean, Bill Campbell is on the board, for goodness sakes. So, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy how poorly... You kind of wonder whether Steve Jobs, during his final days, would call over Bill Campbell and say, what's the matter with you? Give him a smack on the head. If you watch the TV show NCIS... <laughs> where they kind of give a person a smack on the head, one of the agents to kind of straighten up and fly right. Well, why didn't Steve Jobs or Tim Cook go over to Mr. Campbell and say, hey, what's going on here? What do you think yeah. you're doing? You know, as a, it just, it's just inexplicable. So, yeah, so Quicken was the really big one because, of course, when it runs under Rosetta, because Quicken 2007 is the last version of the program that has all the features that people, many people wanted, ran under Rosetta, worked fine, um, and yet they had not made, made it available for, for Intel-based chips, so it was no, wouldn't run natively. And so for the longest time, basically Intuit said either nothing or, you know, it won't run, you'll have to switch to Quicken Essentials. And then right at the end of the year, who knows quite what changed? They suddenly announced that, oh, we're going to have a Lion-compatible version of Quicken, not just Quicken, but of Quicken 2007. And I don't understand that because <laughs> this is confusing. Why not have a Quicken 2012? <laughs> Say, this is Quicken 2012. Give it a shave and haircut. Add all the features back and maybe add one or two minor settings to make it look different. Say, here's Quicken 2012. No, we're going to take well, a five-year-old program quick in 2007 and we're just going to make an update for it so it runs on an intel-based mac underlying where's the fun in that you got to pull the Ooh. away as charlie brown is trying to kick it <laughs> you've got to pull you got to sucker the mac users fully every time yeah you're right i just i mean do they actually not like have the code for quicken left anymore maybe they lost it you know, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe they literally do not have the code that made Quicken. Stranger things have happened, you know, so that's really? a possibility. I, I think that's a joke, of course, and I'll accept it as that. But what possibility is it that maybe one employee who was given the boot takes the source code for Quicken, sticks it on a tiny thumb drive, and erases the original version? <laughs> you know, it's like a movie. Usually when, when – I mean source code for programs has disappeared in the past, but usually it happens when programs are acquired or companies go bankrupt um, and, you know, and someone picks up the product later. But you know, this is purely a conspiracy theory, but you have to wonder why they couldn't just, as you say, open up the, pro, open up the code, change the resources so it says quick in 2011, <laughs> make, you know, do the barest minimum to get it, to get it working and go from there. The question so. is here, how many Mac programmers does a multi-billion dollar corporation have to hire to add back these features and click in essentials? <laughs> is this a light bulb joke? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's becoming one. I how mean, many Mac programmers does it take <laughs> to add two or three features back into Quicken? I mean, the fact is, is that there are something like 20 competitors to Quicken now. There are a lot of programs out there that do essentially the same thing. Intuit could even buy one of these little ones, you know, and, and use that as the base for a Quicken 2011 or 2012. You know, that it's just, 
it's just it's just amazing that a company of Quicken's or of Intuit's size and uh, and in theory capabilities is has done such a horrible job of of serving a customer base and. You know, I mean, at this point, who knows? But I would have assumed that the customer base was large enough for that to have warranted something along these lines. You know, that certainly the number of complaints we've seen it seems like everybody's using it, <laughs> or was at least at one time. And the other thing is here: some of these competitors say certain features, such as the bill pay feature, are not easily done, and we'll have to find out more about that and more with Adam Inkst of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi. This is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Adam Inks of Tidbits and Take Control Books, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night All Live, and we're exploring all sorts of subjects. The Stop Online Piracy Act, we went into that. We stayed away from GoDaddy, and they can stay away. We went into Apple's decision to kill Rosetta give it the axe and why certain programs, because they were never upgraded for the Intel-based Mac, are causing people conniptions, such as, as we say, Intuit's Quicken. So there will be a Quicken 2007 for Lion coming sometime this year. And you still have to wonder, why can't they just change the name and call it Quicken 2012? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it is a, you just want to know how many Quicken users were there actually at the height of it you know what was the size of the business that Intuit has is busy driving into the ground the fact that there are so many competitors and you know a number of them as far as I can tell are doing relatively well um, obviously and you know having having all those people having to abandon Quicken must be giving them plenty of customers but again they can't add the online bill pay feature not that banks don't offer that online in different ways do none of them have it? I thought some did. We did. A, I don't we did know. And that, that's one of the things I know that a couple of the people I talk to regularly on the show have been looking into that. And I believe Bob, Dr. McLevitis is one of them. And of the key programs he examined, no, they did not have that critical feature. Yeah. You're going to examine this. Yeah, I'm sort of looking. Money Dance claims that it does um, via the OFX protocol. So... 
Um, that may be the, uh, let's see, a number of, one of the articles that we did about Quicken, we actually essentially, you know, sent us a list of questions to the developers of many of these programs and said, you know, you know, do, you know, can your package print checks? Can your, does your package support online bill paying? Things like that. And got answers back from them. Also keeping track like, of stock transactions. That's another feature. Yeah, it looks like Money Dance is the only one of the ones that replied to us that does online bill pay. Yeah, investment tracking, again, Money Dance, SEE Finance, iBank4, and Quicken Essentials. Um, so, yeah, so if, if people go to our website and search on uh, replacement for Quicken, they'll find uh, in the follow-up article, they'll find all the answers to these. And as I said, it's not, it's not complete because a lot of people didn't reply to us. Uh, to get into the article, but it does help uh, help to you know differentiate a little bit because honestly, at this point, I cannot encourage anyone to use Quicken. I would encourage everyone to get off of Quicken. You know, I understand it's not easy. I understand if you know you just can't bring yourself to do it over the. T- but you know, you're going to have to do it at some point because they keep pulling the football away. You know, there's it's going to be if it's not this time, it's going to be the next time. And so, you know, it's, it's, it would be a good thing to find another company that is going to actually support Mac users and, you know, and keep their software, you know, moving forward in, in time. And part of it is just nothing else. Financial software needs to evolve with the times. You know, you, you know, you, you know the world changes in terms of types of investments, technologies you do, bill paying or online bank accounts or tax, you know, tax codes, all that kind of stuff. And to have a company like Intuit that's just not keeping up is just insane. <sighs> what can I tell you? Sounds to me like they may feel chastened or maybe they saw their business declining and they say, you know what? We've got to do something because we could lose a huge customer base. We'll have to see. Let's look into some other stories before we let you go. This is one that hit me, number nine. And that is Mac OS X's mouse acceleration problem. <laughs> but that's a story from 2007. So why is it relevant in 2011? Inquiring you know, minds want to know. It was, it was just fascinating. Um, I mean, it is a little bit of an, ev- an evergreen. So, you know, basically the article explains how mouse acceleration works. So, for anyone who's sitting here, if you've got a mouse in your hand and you move it really slowly, you can see how the, the cursor doesn't move very far. Um, but if you move it faster, the cursor p- essentially picks up speed. It moves more quickly the faster you move the mouse. And that allows you to move great distances on your screen. Because if you have a big screen, I mean, keep in mind, the you know, original Mac screen was pretty small. You didn't need so much of this. But over time, with a big screen, you need to get from one end to the other. And if you had a linear, um, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your mouse moved the same amount, if your cursor moved the same amount that your mouse moved, you'd need to have a mouse pad that was the size of your screen. And for me, I have two 24-inch screens. I would need, a, I would need to use my entire desk to to move my mouse. And so this acceleration is a way that you can get around that. But it's a little funny, um, you know, how, how it works. And some people find it very disconcerting to the way the default settings are. And so this article kind of explains the whole system and, and then talks about how you can, using some utilities, which actually are still around, amazingly, USB overdrive, for instance, how you can change the acceleration curves, how you can make your mouse move either more quickly or more slowly if you have trouble 
with it. I'll tell you what, I have one here called More Magic for the Magic Mouse. So mm-hmm. when I use the Magic Mouse, it's too damn slow for me. Mm-hmm. So I use that. Or I use a Logitech mouse with a Logitech Control Center software, and it works just fine. I have different ways to customize the rate of acceleration, lots of granular controls. But we think Apple, though, ought to be figuring this out. Well, you know, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where I'm sure that Apple has done what they believe is is, is good for perhaps, uh, you know, 90, 90 to 98% of the users. But, and certainly most people have no clue. They're just going to use it because it works. And if it's not quite perfect for them, so be it. Uh, they won't even notice. But it is nice to have access to these utilities for those of us who do understand the system and, you know, can be a little unhappy with it at times. I mean, personally, you know, mouse acceleration doesn't bother me so much, but I really do like uh, to be able to, you know, have multiple buttons. I have a Contour Design Roller Mouse Pro, which is actually a kind of a track bar thing with a bunch of buttons. I like to be able to create, you know, connections between those buttons and different actions on the Mac. And again, Apple doesn't want to have anything to do with that. So think, think third-party opportunity. And you have to wonder whether somebody's going to ask Apple at a press conference somewhere, one of the current executives, Scott Forstall, for example, and say, hey, man, you know, Lion works fine, the iOS works fine, but your mouse tracking sucks, especially the Magic Mouse. Try it on a 27-inch iMac and tell me that it's fast and flexible. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to see someone ask that. I can't imagine he'd answer. <laughs> well, he tends to be a hard-nosed kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So, any event. So, yeah, so that's why I think this, is, this article has is, is maintained its uh, popularity over the years. I mean, the other one that's, uh, that's remained done the same, actually, is uh, Joe Kissel's article about integrating uh, Gmail with Apple Mail. And so you know something? You- I've tried some of the techniques in the newer versions of Gmail. It's different. Yeah, that's the problem with Gmail changes things over time. That's right. So, for example, there was a setting, store messages on server, sent messages, which I think you're supposed to uncheck, and even Google says that. But no, you have to check it. Otherwise, the sent messages will be stored on your Mac. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, things like that where the problem with Google and Gmail is there are so many millions and billions of adjustments. I mean, you go in there and you look at the settings panel for Gmail. And we use Gmail, of course, for our domains because of the fact that they give you lots of space and lots of flexibility and everything. And it works pretty well. It also offers something called Google Sync. So you get push email without Microsoft Exchange on your iOS device. All right? So it's pretty good. Got a lot of stuff. But if you go through the settings panes, you can spend the rest of the year going through trying to figure them out. And they've got something called Labs where they add (laughs) beta features. And suddenly, you're gobsmacked, as they say in London. <laughs> yeah, and Gmail, I mean, I'm actually a big fan of Gmail. So um, I, I, they, they do not make things nearly as easy as Apple, but they do a really good job of rethinking how email should work. And the labs are, are, are both beta features and to a certain extent and also just things the engineers sort of wanted. But they're not making. They're not gonna gonna overload the program with everything the engineers want to do. Only ninety percent of them. We have (laughs) animation tidbits and take control books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Nick Wadino with Midas Resources. If you have an IRA or 401k, did you know you can turn that nest egg into a physical gold and silver nest egg? Do you know what kind of specific precious metals are allowed by law to be in retirement accounts? Did you know that you can take physical delivery of these precious metals? Would you like to know more? It's a fact. Stocks and mutual funds have been a wild ride, and many people's retirement funds have taken large hits. If you put $100,000 in gold in January of 2009, it would be worth over $200,000 today. If you put $100,000 in silver, then it would be worth over $300,000 today. As bailouts for banks and the seemingly endless printing of money continues worldwide, the value of the dollar could decline further, in turn possibly pushing gold and silver much, much higher. Protect what you work so hard for. Call me, Nick Wadina, 1-800-686-2237, extension 343, and learn what your options are. Again, that's 1-800-686-2237, extension 343. Once again, 1-800-686-2237, extension 343. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to FakeTV.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to FakeTV.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. Did you know that gold and silver contain healing properties? It's true. Since the beginning of mankind's history, gold and silver have not only been used as real money, but also for healing our minds and bodies. UtopiaSilver.com is your leading source for colloidal silver and colloidal gold, offering supplement protocols that can heal and enhance your health. Protocols for boosting the immune system, insomnia, yeast infections, herpes, and countering the effects of vaccinations and radiation poisoning. And now Utopia UtopiaSilver.com encourages the use of real money with this buy one, get one free real money special. For details and your colloidal silver and colloidal gold supplements, call 888-213-4338 and ask about 50% off for first-time customers. That's 888-213-4338 or visit UtopiaSilver.com, UtopiaSilver.com, fighting for liberty and healing one American at a time. 
want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. We have Adamings to Take Control books and tidbits. Go to tidbits.com and check out all the stuff. And, of course, the weekly newsletter, Tidbits, been around for 117 years. Tomorrow. 117 right. years to now. <laughs> and you were extolling the virtues of Gmail. Now, Gmail is free, but you can also have your domain mail. You know, you sign up for Google Apps. And there's a free version. So if you have, like, for example, I have technightowl.com. I could set it up. With Gmail, there's a few adjustments you have to make. I mean, some web hosts even make it almost automatic, like, for example, DreamHost. If you don't want to use their email, you could use Gmail. It's integrated with their control panel. So it can be done. You also have something called a business version. The business version, you spend $5 a month or $50 per year per user, and you get, what, a 25-gigabyte email box. You get phone support, email support, and lots of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think Google is obviously trying to create a situation where they're providing services that will keep them using Google stuff and using the Internet more because that's how Google makes their money, essentially, is people use the Internet more, they want to use Google searches more, and Google makes their money in advertising. You know, the, the article that Joe wrote demystified some of this stuff because Gmail, because it's an entirely new rethinking of how mail works, doesn't use kind of all the standard internet mail stuff behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, it's all custom Google code. And so they have to add a layer to make it seem like an internet standard system when it's talking to programs like mail. And so there's some weird stuff, you know, for instance, if you want to turn on IMAP and, you know, and download your mail via IMAP to Apple Mail, which you can set which labels in Gmail will actually appear to Apple Mail, which is Now, this is confusing to some people because we have folders normally in IMAP email. You have, of course, a sent folder, an inbox. You may have special folders for archiving. You have for junk mail. You have for trash. But what Gmail does is they have one (laughs) overall (laughs) mailbox with labels that subdivide them. It's almost like the smart folders where Apple is basically providing a custom way to view that email. So therefore, this is the sent mail. This is the received mail, the inbox. This is the archive, etc. It's labels, not folders, but they translate it. So it gets more confusing. This is confusing, but I have to tell you, you go look at Joe Kissel's article on handling Gmail and IMAP and all that. He'll sort things out, but remember, certain things have changed. So probably he's going to have to update. Yeah, we've, he's talked about that, and, and we actually have some more information in his, it's now, again, needs updating, Take Control of Apple Mail for Snow Leopard book. And so once he does a Lion version of that, I suspect he'll be revisiting some of the Gmail-based connections because it is a situation where it's a little bit different than everywhere else given the fact that it's not standard Internet mail stuff behind the scenes. But uh, but it does work, and you can always get Apple Mail doing it. Personally, I've actually been very happy with the Gmail web interface, which I use via a program called MailPlane that adds a few niceties while 
while still maintaining all of the stuff that Google actually does. One of the nice things about Google Gmail, I mean, via the web, is it can mark messages as important. So it's sort of the reverse of spam filtering, where spam filtering says, this message is junk. The important message filtering says, this message is from someone you really care about reading it, um, can pull that to the top because it's important. So you know, there are features like that that you simply lose when you go outside of the Gmail web interface. And they always, because Google has to do this translation, they always tend to be slightly flaky and slightly irritable in the way they work. As you use it on, for example, Apple Mail, there's a couple of minor quirks. If you use the so-called Google Sync or the faux Microsoft Exchange version, which is where you basically set up your Gmail account or, for example, your Google Apps account on an iOS device, but you use Microsoft Exchange and just use different servers. And that works pretty well, except it also has flakiness. But with push email, it means a second the email message arrives at the server, within seconds you hear about it. So if you need to keep in touch, that's how you do it. There yeah. you go with Gmail. <laughs> Let's go one other place here because, you know, this is interesting to me. The number one with a bullet. <laughs> the number one story in Tidbits in 2011. The headline says, type, let it snow into Google. What am I talking about here? What are you talking about? What is anybody talking about? So this is terrible in some ways. So, you know, we've published our final tidbits issue for the year in email, and we're just kind of kind of winding down. And then I hear about that Google has done this little Easter egg joke thing, where if you type the words, let it snow into a Google search box, it snows in the search results window. So literally, you start seeing snowflakes coming down in the window, and then it fogs up, just like a windshield would in cold, cold weather. And you can kind of scrub to, to you know, clear out the fog, or there's actually a defrost button. So it's basically just a Google joke. And Google has a number of these things. You know, if you type tilt into a Google search box, it will tilt the window slightly. It was, I, I thought it was funny. I wrote a, I wrote a, a cute little you know, couple paragraph article about it for tidbits and didn't think too much of it. But, and this was the big but, because Google looks at our site when they are collecting things for Google News, and then Google News results show up at the top of search results pages a lot of the time, as the word about the Let It Snow Easter egg got out and people started typing Let It Snow into Google, our article was the first thing that would come up. So we were literally the top hit in Google for this this search phrase. And I don't know, people, they wanted some, I don't know why anyone was clicking through to our site after doing it, because the joke is right there in front of you when you do it, but they were. And so, and I guess this is a, a testament to the power of Google. So, you know, for something like, I don't know, 12 hours, our site was taking, you know, a thousand to twelve hundred simultaneous users at all times. You know, we we hit over a hundred thousand page views for the day that that happened. Congratulations! <laughs> this has got to well, be awesome. Hopefully, people bought Take Control books and made it prof- profitable for you. All right, we don't have much time left. It's been a fun discussion. Tell our listeners what new titles or the newest titles available in the Take Control book lineup are. 
Well, the thing that I think people would do best to look up, look for right now is Joe Kissel's Take Control of iCloud, which we just updated to version 1.1 with all the latest things that Joe's learned about iCloud. So people who are having um, either troubles with moving from MobileMe or just aren't sure what the whole thing is about, that's been a hugely popular book with a lot of people. So uh, that's that's uh, coming out. That's out now, and you know we got a bunch of other stuff coming out. Um, trying to catch up with Lion for some things. Uh, just you know, just a lot to do at all times these days. Sounds like a lot of fun in the offing there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, if only the only problem is, is that you have to kind of pick and choose what you have to do, what you what you have to do, what you get to do, because there's so many. I mean, that's why Joe was telling me this morning that, you know, he has this list of, you know, nine books that could use updating, but, you know, he's just, where is he going to find the time to do them? And you've got to prioritize and pick, you know, which ones are going to be the most fun to do. So where do we find more of the stuff that you do? Look at www.takecontrolbooks.com or tidbits.com. Adam Inks, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thanks, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Do you know that Where To is a worldwide location finder for the iPhone? It allows you to easily find the closest and best rated restaurants, shops, and services with an easy, intuitive interface. And my personal favorite, an augmented reality view to see the results in 3D. You can find it at the App Store or from this direct link, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O, wheretoapp.com slash T-N-O. Check it out. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You can't argue with success. And many people have found great success in fighting back colds and flu viruses with Ali C, the world's best garlic extract. So now, it's time to get even more success with the other great quality natural products from Affinity Health Products. Like Sea Energy Liquid Vitamins, Lose and Snooze, and the One Day Diet. Or Human Growth Hormone Support, Menopause Specialist for Women, and Joint Specialist. See these and many other quality Affinity Health products for men and women online at AffinityHealthProducts.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y HealthProducts.com. Or call in your orders at 877-888-7126. That's 1-877-888-7126. Trust your health to the makers of Alley C, the world's best garlic extract. Affinity Health Products, the finest and most innovative natural health products available. Did you ever think you'd be where you are a decade into the 21st century? Record foreclosure rates for homes, if not yours, your neighbors. Thankful for the unemployment check since you were laid off and placing your child's name on the angel tree in hopes of a Christmas gift, along with thousands of other Americans. Did you ever think your future would feel this out of control? The fact is, in all this craziness, there's only one thing you can control. 
your greatest dependency, your food supply. Make 2012 the year you take control by getting prepared. eFoods Direct introduces the best way to build your food supply in the 21st century. Get a 21-day supply of food free with purchase. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Take back control in 2012. Call 800-409-5633 or go to eFoodsDirect.com forward slash Alex. Remember, you can bet your life on eFoods Direct. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Sean Brown. He's vice president of a company called Sonic Foundry. And we're going to talk about some interesting possibilities and opportunities for corporations and students especially to learn more things, see more things, experience more things, particularly on their mobile devices. So this is an exciting possibility here. Sean, tell us about Sonic Foundry, how the company started, what's its focus been? Well, Sonic Foundry is a company that is based in Madison, Wisconsin, founded in 1991. And I want to ask you about all the controversies in Wisconsin, politically. Well, and we can address all of those. Now, uh, luckily, since we're a technology company, we have, we're the geeks that supply the tools that everyone uses to communicate on either side of almost any controversial issue. But in this piece of controversy and uh, great ideas, the, uh, one of the ideas that was held in a company that started in a garage was Sonic Boundary with tools to help um, uh, teachers and business people and individuals manipulate media with computers, be able to work with sound in a new and creative way. To, you know, one of the first abilities to record on your desktop and do the kinds of things that used to only be available to the wealthy to do in a studio, you could do with technology from Sonic Boundary with your own computer. And then we uh, went on to do the same thing for video editing and allowing people to manipulate video editing. But an exciting development happened at about the turn of the century, as we say, in about 2001, Sonic Foundry acquired a company called MediaSite and released a technology to the world that made the creation of online internet video something that a, a radically simplified process, something that can be built into the walls of a classroom to deliver video plus whatever visual aids the uh, instructor was using or business person was using for that matter to the web 
so that people could watch it from afar. And that this process, instead of being something where you needed to be an expert toiling away at your computer, was a process that could just happen the same way that we project our thoughts, uh, our PowerPoints or whatever in a classroom or a meeting. You could have a camera and wear a microphone and have one of our systems installed in the room and be confident that everything you said and did was being broadcast and archived out to the internet. Well, therefore, if the teacher says the wrong thing, something can come back to haunt that teacher. That is one way to look at it. That is one of the first concerns that people had. They said, you know, the the, the minute where you're like, what a dazzling, brave new world we could be in. And the next minute, they're like, what if I cough? What if I accidentally, you know, say the wrong thing? Am I going to end up on, you know, YouTube? There was no such thing at the, at the time. But uh, the system that we make is incredibly popular and growing because it allows you to do two important things that address what you said, which is one, um, uh, you can edit what you broadcast and, 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 and if you need to, which most people don't because of the second thing I'm going to tell you is that it's secure. YouTube, for example, is a counterexample of something that's designed where anyone, anywhere can get something up and be published and anyone else can, can watch it. Our system is private. It works with the enterprise security inside an organization already. So at your organization or our listeners out there, almost everybody works somewhere where the first thing they do in the morning after they get their cup of coffee is type in their username and password. And we assume that there's some security system that makes sure that the person that works at Corporation A or or government agency B or school C is who they say they are, and you get your email and everything. Our system works using those same principles. Now, so are you having your own security policies enforced, or do you just take advantage of whatever they have? We take advantage of what they have. We have our both. We have, if you wanted a media site system, if it was the only system that your institution owned, it has its own inherent security where you can secure with username and password the content so you know who's watching when, what, where. But we also can interleave with the existing security of an organization, which our customers find incredibly convenient and a powerful feature. Of course, the obvious question is here for some corporations, if the security isn't strong enough, do you have your own? Yes, we do. When you're talking, one of the most important things about the way the media worked for us that was an innovation that allows people to feel comfortable with it is it's streamed. When I'm going to iTunes, if I'm going to watch a movie or something, we watch it download from iTunes to our computer, then it downloads to our our, our iPad, and then we walk around and look at it. The media site system works in a more advanced way than that. The now, we understand here with iTunes, the security entails being watched on a device that's registered with your copy of iTunes. That's the first Mm -hmm. area of security. But the most important is you can't get the movie until you pay for it. So there is a matter of security there. You first have to make a transaction, a secured transaction. And secondly, it can only play on the devices you register with Apple, period. That is absolutely correct. And it's a very, very good system. And this is better. We stream more like Netflix, to use an analogy here, but it's private. It's, what you, you're, it's not a studio that made it, it's you. So recordings that you watch that are created with MediaSite are 
never on your computer. They're just there in front of your eyes in your browser. You're never downloading anything. So you put a username and password in front of the data, which is what we do using the same internet security that your bank would use or something else. And the content never leaves the servers. It's always streaming to you. That combination is incredibly secure. And in some views, even more secure from an intellectual property perspective than the way that we move around Hollywood movies and songs uh, via the download and, and, and move around method of iTunes. Let me ask you a more specific question here. So I understand it, and forgive me if the question is stupid, and that is the media that's being streamed, does it interface with your servers or is it strictly sent out over the local server? It interfaces when our customers, either both, let's say, um, but the most common way in an education setting, let's just use that because that's the most common uses of our system. So you take folks at my alma mater up here, uh, you take people at, at, a, a universe, at a Midwestern university who have the system, and they are confident that you know their classrooms are connected with cameras and microphones, and every day the classes are being recorded. When you go watch that recording, the video, audio, and audiovisual information, the web pages that people are watching that are automatically made by our system are on the servers that belong to school. Just like all of the other web-based information at the school that you log in and see your grades and your, your syllabus and everything else, now there's this new beautiful, uh, you know, everyday lecture that every day of your lectures that you go back and watch and review. So they're stored there. And, and, and we sell at Sonic Foundry, we create the technology to go in the classrooms to do the recording. And we create the software to go in their data center at the institution in the hypothetical. And they're all set from that point on. We enable them to have this service that they can provide to their students. And what's really wonderful now is previously, before we met each other on your program today, um, uh, this was... Uh, watching your class over and over again as part of your studying in addition to your notes was something that you had to do at a computer, at a laptop or a desktop computer with a browser. Mac or PC, but still a browser. But if you wanted to look at it on your iPad or you wanted to look at it on your iPhone or something, you couldn't do that until the last release of our software where we've been able to perfect both live and on-demand streaming to mobile devices as well, which opens up a whole new world. I want to go back to, wish I was young again and could, could go back to school again to be able to have that convenience of if you sat through a lecture, you could review it anywhere you wanted to be, anywhere that you have Wi-Fi and a mobile device, you know, you can you can learn again. Or okay, that's an interesting class. question too, Wi-Fi. Can it be over your 3G network? Um, right now in our first release, we could not do that. Right now it's Wi-Fi only. Um, we're waiting for Apple to certify our applet uh, to be able to use the 3G network, which we anticipate uh, rather soon. And then you'll be able to use it on 3G and 4G networks in addition to Wi-Fi. But right now, Wi-Fi only. Okay, so this is an app. This is not just going through your browser. It's a customized app. Um, it's not a Foundry Media Site app that provides the interface. We have Sean Brown. He's vice president of Sonic Foundry. And they're serving media and the opportunities to do online presentations in classrooms and corporations. A lot more to come. I'm Gene Steinberg. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins. 
a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time I was trying to sleep. Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. I ordered a third bottle of Heart and Body Extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two Black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. 
You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. We have Sean Brown, the Vice President of Sonic Foundry. A fascinating journey into the technology of doing these classroom and corporate presentations. And now, of course, it's available for your iPhone, your iPad. It's an app. That's right. It's an app on iPhone, and it's just going to a website on your iPad just straight up. doesn't require an app. Okay, so in that case, it would be basically just going just online go and seeing it. And start watching. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, Gene. It, 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 I, I honestly think it's not hyperbole to say it's transforming the way people learn and allowing them to think about engaging education in a whole different demographic outcome. Traffic uh, is not a concern. Having a job, different things like that you are able to now conceive of participating in the in-classroom experience in a media site-enabled campus from anywhere. And it's really fantastic. So could you be in your dorm room and watch the class? Say that day you're not feeling well. You know, you party the night before this happens. <laughs> I'm sorry. My daughter is leaving for school in a couple months. That example scares me, but you're totally right. No, for whatever reason that you might be ill that morning, if students all over the nation, all over North America, all over the world for that matter, have the option in the media site-enabled campuses, which are growing more and more every day with 900 institutions using this worldwide in this way, in their dorm room, just like you uh, hypothesized. They can sit and watch the class. And it looks, I mean, they're seeing a window of streaming video, high-quality streaming video with their professor, high-quality audio. And right next to it, they're seeing whatever the professor was projecting on a screen. And it's navigable, Gene. And then the other thing that's wonderful is you can search for key terms. So if the professor had a slide or an image or whatever that had the word economy on it, and it's now the end of the semester and you're cramming and you're saying, I know that at some point during the semester, we talked about, you know, economy, you know, or macroeconomics or some keyword. You type in that keyword, it will go through and search and look for images, slides that were projected that have that word in it and take you to that exact minute. A list of search results that take you to that so you can rewatch the lectures and hear it in their own voice. It's, it's, it's actually truly amazing. We think it's really going to help people learn faster and better and make a better investment in their education. Let's talk a little bit about setting this up. Now, if you're going to go back to a specific segment, it's indexed or hyperlinked in some way? Absolutely. Part of the, the beauty of the system. The two key innovations of our system are, one, the technology that the institutions can integrate in the classroom that makes it just transparent and happen in the background where they can build in capture, build in recording, turning any classroom into a studio. The second powerful part of our innovative technology is this indexing that we speak of. Uh, things are both visually indexed with thumbnails. Um, there's two primary innovations that are part of the system that address your question. The first is the construction of an appliance that makes the classroom recording so easy so that it is something that you can build into a classroom to turn it into a studio with camera, microphone, plus our device, you're able to stream to the web. The second thing that's incredibly innovative about our product to your question about indexing and metadata and things is that the system is able to visually index and create thumbnails so that you can navigate the same way you navigate other web-based content you can be looking at your class and see it broken down 
and see, you know, quick little thumbnail images of different things that your professor projected so quickly. You can browse through and say, I want to, there was a graph on the screen. That's what I want to see. And you click it and it plays from that moment specifically like you asked. Plus the ability to search by the word from things that have been um, projected as well. That combination of analysis assistance and direct access through a normal web-based interface through your normal intuitive processes that you use every day. We all use every day. We point, we click, we browse, we use our eyes to decide what articles we want to read. The media site system is applying this same process to produce websites for your classes that are just as navigable as the things that you see every day, but the professor didn't have to do it. Nobody had to spend hours and hours to create this site. Our system, media site, creates these sites automatically and on the fly. Okay, so we have the live presentation, but now the professor decides before this goes out for posterity, I want to make a few changes. So Mm -hmm. how do they do that? How do they do the editing? Is this like putting Final Cut Pro in this program? It it is, but it's much simpler than Final Cut Pro or iMovie. We have a very simple editor, and simple in the sense that, Gene, it has, you know, if, if Final Cut Pro has, a thousand switches and buttons and effects that you can do. Ours is just very simple. You can cut out any segments that you want. You can change the visuals. Like if you misspell the word on a slide or something like that, you can replace it with a different slide. Um, and you can shorten the front or shorten the end, you know, in case class got recorded and it was recorded for an hour, but really it was over in 45 minutes and you were just chit-chatting at the end. Very easy to do. So how a professor does it is when they're done, they log into the system and they say, before I want this to go live, I want to um, pull this into my personal computer, do a little editing, and save it back to the web. Boom, done. Easy to do. Easy to do. All right. Now, for those who are interested in following through, this is available basically to corporations and educational systems. It's not something that you buy in your store or the app store. Exactly. This is not something you're going to find in Best Buy. This is more something that you find in the same place that your other audiovisual technology is sold. So when you walk into a corporation and you, you walk into a, a room and you see that there's a projector or a video conference system or all these other things, the same people who design that type of environment know all about our system, the media site system, or you can contact us directly at sonicboundary.com, and we'd be happy to help anybody who's interested in making sure that their institution or organization has this technology as well. Now, I'm not going to get into pricing here because it's probably very complicated, but do you have to be a fairly large educational institution or corporation to be able to manage this, or maybe a smaller corporation with 50 or 100 people? A small corporation with 50 or 100 people is, is a perfect size. Obviously, we have tons of large corporations, as you anticipated, in institutions. But we have K-12 schools. We have community colleges. We have small and medium-sized businesses. We have individual business owners. We have um, uh, some folks um, in Colorado who are typical of very small garage-based business owners who have a particular type of message, content, that they get on the Internet, where they were going around and helping people and doing business consulting before they had web-based video technology for media site, and they were doing it one-on-one. They'd go help people, help them with their business, help marketing. They purchased one of our portable systems, and they're able to record themselves 
the same presentation that would normally do for a gathering of one or two or three in a you know, YMCA or a church auditorium or, or wherever, they now record those. And then instantly when they're digital, you can email people yourself talking and what you're projecting in a very rapid, easy to create way of creating studio quality online content that again, as Gene, you asked in the beginning, is secure where you can have reporting and know how many people watch today and who exactly watched today and, and all those sorts of things. So it is mostly used by medium and large businesses, mostly used by medium and large universities, but um, it's found useful across the spectrum, even down to the smallest businesses and the smallest institutions. Now, is this something maybe a school board system could be approached and say, hey, we ought to have this at our high school or maybe a state institution? Absolutely well said. That is exactly how it's most often adopted. Um, I believe my friends at Memphis City Schools, for example, wouldn't mind me mentioning that the media site is used in, to an extent with their other studio operations. It's one of the tools that they use, their incredible use of television and public access cable. They added media site in and it came in just the way you're talking with people talking to school board members and district administration and sort of proving in advance what this technology could do to help them reach the public. And um, once it improves itself, they adopted it and are one of our, our, our uh, most talented users. And that process that you described, Gene, is often how it's adopted. I guess one hopes that systems like this will also help reduce the cost and raise the efficiency of educating our young people because, you know, sometimes these prices, especially for advanced education, get to be out of sight. Oh, you are kidding, Gene. That's, we think that's been a major driver in our explosive growth is exactly what you said, especially in these hard economic times. And you have people taking that extra risk and saying, you know, I may have lost my job, but I'm going to go to school to retrain for a different skill. They need to get the most they can for the money that they're spending on tuition. Would you tell our listeners where to find more information? SonicFoundry.com. SonicFoundry.com. And the person we talked to is Sean Brown the vice president for the company. Thanks for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much for letting me be on and talk about media sites. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. 
with Dan Morin of Macworld Magazine. We've got so much to cover, I can barely contain ourselves. So let's start with the story. Actually, it made everywhere in the past couple of months since Steve Jobs said in the authorized biography from Walter Isaacson that he had, quote, cracked the code, end quote, about a possible Apple TV or living room-based initiative. Even USA Today got into the game this week, and maybe it's just Apple upstaging the Consumer Electronics Show. But before we even talk about the specifics, Dan, do you think that's a possibility that all this talk is coming out and reaching a fever pitch, especially about the alleged 50-inch ITV prototype in the design studio of Sir Jonathan Ive, that it's all just generated to draw attention away from Consumer Electronics Show? I think that's probably a little bit over the top, if only because Apple's shown they have no problem attracting attention whenever they really want to. Uh, And I don't think that currently... The CES has never been a huge competitor to them in terms of attention, at least for the last several years. And, of course, Microsoft is even giving it up. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I, you know, for example, the best incident I remember is being at CES. I was stuck uh, on the show floor at CES in Las Vegas in 2007, madly refreshing the live blogs as Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. And that was all that anybody at CES could ever talk about. Nobody, nobody cared about anything happening at CES. So I think that CES is, you know, there's, there's definitely some interest there, but I think the vast majority of people who are sort of following Apple know that they're not going to announce anything at CES and that it's not really a big distraction for them. I don't think Apple loses anything by it, and I don't think they gain that much by, you know, trying to distract attention from CES. Now, is the fact that Microsoft is pulling out is because people are sick and tired of having Microsoft introduce some product or service that never comes to be? Uh, There's a couple different reasons. I mean, and, you know, there's been some behind-the-scenes stuff about exactly whose call it was. Microsoft said, oh, we're withdrawing, and the CEA, which runs CES, said, oh, we didn't invite them to do a keynote note next year. I, I think part of it is that Microsoft's held that position for a long time. And as you say, they've, they've used the opportunity to introduce a lot of sort of vaporware that never really materializes. I think that Microsoft's also just in some ways become less relevant over the last few years. I mean, Windows has increasingly become a thing that is people put up with because it runs most of the computers. But, you know, there was a uh, annual traffic report for the internet saying that seems like more people are still using XP uh, than any of the newer versions, an operating system release that's almost a decade old. I think that Microsoft has kind of found itself sitting by the wayside. Well, Apple and Google and a lot of these more prominent companies have started to uh, make their get a lot larger and sort of make their footprint seen. And I think part of it as well, from, from Microsoft's perspective, or why I don't think it's a huge loss for Microsoft, is that... Um, You know, the same reason Apple pulled out of Macworld several years ago. Uh, Microsoft didn't want to be tied to a schedule of saying, we need to have something to talk about in January at CES. You know, I think think the product news cycles have changed a lot in the last few years um, in terms of feeling bound, a lot of these companies feeling bound by external pressures to say, oh, we need to deliver something by such and such a date to be at the show. And, And trade shows in general have lost a lot of the clout that they used to have. It's not... They're not kind of the, the same kind of events that they were, you know, a decade or two ago when that was really the only place you could go to see these people exhibit or to find out what they were working on. Now, a lot of these places have retail stores and there's information all over the web and all of that in ways that mean that you don't really need to spend the expense and the time traveling and finding a place to stay and wandering around a giant show floor and inevitably getting sick and all of those great things. 
You're basically talking about yourself here. <laughs> I'm talking about myself having been to CES a couple times and uh, as well as other trade shows. I still like them for certain reasons. I mean, Macworld, for example, even though Apple's not there anymore, I love going to Macworld because it's a great opportunity to connect with people in the community. But Microsoft's never had that kind of community really, right? There's not a huge group of people who are like, yeah, we're diehard Microsoft fans. Let's all meet up and, and talk about how great Microsoft is. It's kind of groovy. I mean, and Microsoft tries to be groovy or cool or fab to use all those old terminology. So, for example, you have this new commercial where they're showing Windows 7 and the father is doing some kind of simple presentation. And the son playing next to him with a computer makes a fancier presentation but if you look at the presentation, it's very amateurish. It's just flashy and very clumsy. And this right, is supposed to represent keynote. something special that you do in Windows 7, and it comes up pedestrian. Yeah, I, I think you know, Microsoft has had to struggle that, with that sort of image problem for years and years. And, and right now, about the only thing that they do have any cachet in is the gaming market. I mean, the, the Xbox and Kinect have been very popular among uh, you know, just in terms of a technology, I, I was at a Boston has a has a wonderful science museum. I was there earlier this week, and in one of the exhibits, they had set up a Microsoft Connect to let you sort of drive, you know, sort of drive a virtual Mars rover just using body motions, and that's really cool. I mean, the 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 Connect has taken gotten a huge amount of interest interest in that sort of jailbreak. Uh, you know, hacker community because it's just a really nifty tool with a lot of cool applications. And Microsoft's really tried to foster that to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's that's the kind of place that they've done really successful work. But when it comes to their traditional markets, I mean, a lot of the big problem is they took a, a really long time to reinvent themselves in the phone market, right? And that was that was the mobile market was what was getting big and hot, and they're still focusing on Windows and Office, which are very desktop-bound. And desktops are becoming less and less relevant as time goes on. And Microsoft is, I guess, on the outside looking in. And that's the problem. Yeah, okay, now. so let's move to the Apple-connected TV that we started with. There's a story in USA Today that quotes an alleged Apple employee, I guess former employee, who said that Sir Jonathan Ive had this device in his top-secret design studio. Now, obviously, because Apple has something that's being developed doesn't mean it will ever see the light of day. So what do we know? about a possible ITV? Well, we don't know a whole lot. We know a lot of rumors. And I, I, I'm, you know, it's one of those things a, a colleague of mine was saying the other day, um, you know, he's, <laughs> on the one hand, he keeps wondering, why would Apple want to get into this TV market that's so crowded and is such a different type of of market than Apple traditionally likes to go into? And he said, but then at the same time, then I feel like, you know, I I would have said that before about the mobile phone market, you know, four or five years ago. And yet Apple clearly showed that they, they had something to bring to that market. So it's it's not always wise to count them out. Um, and I think they've been trying for a really long time to sort of get a foothold in the living room. And that's that's, to my mind, what the Apple TV has always been about in every iteration is saying, you know, we know we haven't figured out exactly what the TV looks like in this new day and age. But we know we want to be there. And so to sort of plant our flag for the time being, we release these Apple TVs that are these great little set-top boxes. And I really do think the most recent model, which I, which I have one of, is excellent. It's a great little device. Um, but they're still sort of working on it and trying to figure out, well, what does the TV of the 21st century uh, really look like? So I, I agree. I think, they're, I think 
I would be surprised if they weren't working on something, whether it looks like a TV or is some sort of other version of the current Apple TV or is a deal that they strike to integrate technology into TVs made by other manufacturers. I don't know. Um, it's hard to figure out what the best approach is for this market. Steve Jobs spoke several years ago at the, uh, the D conference, uh, one of them where he, he did an interview on stage, and he was talking a bit, very frankly, about the TV market and being like, well, you know, it's really tough to compete with the set-top boxes and the experience is so terrible and the connections are so, you know, you got spend all this time wiring up your TV and it's hard to get into the that set-top market because of all these embedded uh, companies that have been doing this for all this time and you have to deal with the cable providers and all this. So he, you know, I think that's, all of that was sort of uh, anathema to the Apple way of thinking. You know, that's a lot of deals to make and a lot of uh, people, the technology to circumvent, what have you. So I think, you know, they would love to be able to make the whole thing themselves. And that's what attracts them, I imagine, to the idea of producing a television, if they're, in fact, working on one, um, is that, you know, something you could buy at the store, take home, plug in, turn it on, you know, and you're pretty much ready to go in the same thing that they did with the computer market. But it's, a, it's an uphill climb, I think. It's a very difficult climb because we're talking not just about having the TV being simple to use, voice-activated driven. It's very much about the content and what kind of deals they could make and then the consequences of offering that content or are they going to just deal with the existing providers it's a royal pain and how apple's going to resolve it's another question we'll have to continue to pursue with dan morin of macworld magazine i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi friends, this is Jeremiah from Zeobit, the makers of MacKeeper. MacKeeper is a bundled software of 16 of the most important system utilities all located in one place. It's a really powerful and cool application that includes anti-theft, antivirus, data encryption, you can undelete files, back up your data, and so much more. We offer lifetime customer support with every license, and we really do care about you and your Mac. For more information, check us out at MacKeeper.com. Once again, that's MacKeeper.com. When making important financial decisions, you should always know the facts. That's why Midas Resources is willing to pay you to read the facts. Midas Resources, a team of hand-picked financial specialists with decades of financial experience who are ready to provide you with state-of-the-art, up-to-date financial services. Midas Resources offers a host of services and stands behind their products. In fact, if you call and order their free Midas report, Midas Resources will pay you. This detailed report will provide you with financial history on the safest and most profitable areas to invest in. If you read the report, Midas Resources will send you a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar. So what are you waiting for? Get the facts and call Midas Resources toll free at 888-292-2709. That's 888-292-2709. And remember, if you read the Midas report, you'll receive a free Walking Liberty Silver Half Dollar.
Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. If you're taking one, two, five, or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com. And now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient-dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Learn more and order your Bio Superfood formulas at BioAge.com. Spelled B-I-O-A-G-E.com. BioAge.com. Or call 877-288-9116. That's 877-288-9116. BioAge, the age of advanced organics. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. With Dan Warren of Macworld Magazine, I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live, focusing on an Apple-connected TV. Now, the story, rumors, and we know that rumors, of course, can be just that, or sometimes they're true. There's a rumor out this week that Apple is trying to use a different sort of LED backlighting to give the sense of a better picture, better picture quality. And that might be one of the things, because, for example, now plasma which uses a lot more power, and Apple's, of course, environmentally friendly, has certain advantages. Wide viewing angle, great reproduction of blacks, great reproduction of action scenes, and the LCDs don't do it. So I guess Apple would have to solve the problem with LCD if that's where they're going. Yeah, and and LCDs certainly have their benefits. They're a lot cheaper, and obviously Apple already buys them in bulk for its many, many devices in all sorts of sizes. Yeah, there there are some challenges there. It's, It's a field that they haven't really spent a lot of time in, and it's a question of... What's very interesting is if you look at their other devices, you can sort of see 
when they've leveraged, you know, something that they've figured out or developed in one device into another, right? Like easy example, multi-touch trackpads on the Mac, right? A lot of that is very tied into the kind of work that they were clearly doing for the, you know, the iPhone and the iPad. It's not surprising to realize that they sort of, they, they will work on a product and suddenly someone will realize, hey, this has really good applications in this other project over there. I think the content, as you sort of touched upon, is a really tough part of this. Um, iTunes is extremely popular for music. I, th- I get the impression it does okay for video, but not that well. Otherwise, they talk about it a lot more. I they regard really it as an alternative to pay-per-view, but just an alternative. And not always it's flexible. For example, I have DirecTV. On pay-per-view, get the same basic programming as you get with iTunes, but the option is I can also get a 3D version. I can also get a 1080p version, which is the higher or the highest resolution you can get with flat panel TV, the equivalent of Blu-ray. I can't get that with Apple. And I guess it's partly because of internet bandwidth and speed considerations. Yeah, they, they are a little more bound by those sorts of things. And there certainly are a lot of competing options. I wonder about some of the, the, the options they have in terms of, would it be, I'm sure they love getting revenue from movies and television shows, but I wonder whether it would be wholly disadvantageous to them to seek outside content partnerships in the way that they, you know, they let you stream Netflix and a bunch of other video stuff on the Apple TV. You know, they made specific deals with some of the sports uh, leagues and stuff like that. So I think you can get your your baseball and I think they have hockey and as well. I mean, the, and Netflix, obviously. That's a really interesting move because in, in if you sort of reduced it to its base level, you might think, well, Netflix and iTunes are competitors. But the truth is they provide very different services and they have very different payment models. And so I find them to actually be really complimentary because I'll watch something on Netflix, you know, I'll browse around and see, oh yeah, there's the movie I was interested in watching. I'll just stream it on Netflix, which I pay for. If I want something that's a little newer or that Netflix just doesn't have in its catalog, you know, I've definitely gone over and rented something from the iTunes store, you know, paid three or four bucks for it. And I think that works really well because the interface and the way that they've designed the system of, you know, renting a movie is extremely painless on the Apple TV. Um, You know, you just gave me an idea, which I've been basically meditating with. And that is Apple obviously cannot completely replace the content delivery systems, satellite and cable. They won't offer the breadth of content or the variety. But what they could do is offer the interface. They make a contract with DirecTV, Dish Network, the local cable providers. They set contracts and they say, okay, we'll sign you up and maybe, you know, we'll work it out with some kind of fee exchange schedule. We'll let these customers who buy the set, they can continue to hook it up the way they do now or plug it directly into the Apple TV and we become like TiVo. We give you the interface in the exclusive iOS style interface to control everything. We'll control everything. You just give us the content. Will be your set-top box. Will be everybody's set-top box. I think there's a possibility there. I mean, I think you also have to look at the idea that uh, look at what they've done with with iOS as a platform, right? You know, people like Comcast and Verizon can build their own apps for iPhone, iPad that basically let subscribers. So if you already have, you know, a Comcast or DirecTV or a, you know a Verizon FiOS uh, connection going into your home for your television, you can just use an app and watch a lot of the same content. And so would it be so far-fetched to say, well, hey, we're going to figure out a way to let essentially apps run on the Apple TV, maybe not in the same sort of huge free-for-all that they've got for their existing iOS platform, but saying, you know, making deals with partners to sort of hook up, you know, specific apps or channels that would let you watch content from those partners. So if you Uh, subscribe to Dish Network, DirecTV, Comcast, Warner Cable, whatever, all they're doing is 
giving you the content with a customized app that uses the iOS interface makes it prettier. Although, by the way, I should mention that this week DirecTV is pushing out to customers a brand new, supposedly spiffier, neater interface for their set-top boxes. Okay, you know, that's where it goes. But seriously, that's one thing that would be interesting. Suddenly, they don't have to replace the content. They can still give you one box, and all you do is just plug in that particular cable connection, and that's it. And that's all you have to have. And then Apple still offers iTunes for pay-per-view or for sale of downloadable content. They're not stepping afoul of the existing structure. They are integrating everything in one simple box. Right. And I think that's something that, uh, that appeals to Apple to a certain extent. Now, whether or not they want to take the route of partnering that interface with a display and of course they do sell a display you know they've got their 27 inch cinema display and they license any number of displays for all their other devices so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could say well we're going to put you know essentially make a big display that's got an apple tv in it and that'll take care of all you want to do now of course Uh, apple would still with a tv probably offer the same connection options you have now if you want to do it that way and you have the existing set-top box or whatever or tivo you have the hdmi ports you have the same stuff you have the over the air reception because that's a given with a tv set it's not expensive to provide but apple will give you supposedly the better interface the integrated apps the better quality picture and be better quality sound not like a bose though you've seen this bose tv 46 inch lcd tv with these trick or fancy speakers it cost over five thousand dollars right well and and apple's traditionally been dinged for having high prices so it's a question especially on their display displays i mean the 27 inch cinema display lovely display i've got one in front of me right now but it's a thousand dollars and you can buy a 27 inch display for a lot cheaper than that the question of whether or not it would be at a huge premium is is questionable Uh, i think Another interesting route they could take, and I think about this in light of an announcement from Roku earlier this week, where essentially Roku makes a a product that is very much like an Apple TV. It's a little set-top box and basically hooks up to a bunch of different video streaming services, including Netflix, Hulu Plus, and a variety of other things. They sort of announced that they're making this thing called a streaming stick, which looks like a little thumb drive. And you basically plug it into this new port that's starting to appear on televisions called a mobile high-definition link, or MHA. L port, which is kind of, I think, basically pretty similar to an HDMI port, only uh, it's got a little bit more capability for doing things. And so, but that whole thing, you know, that little stick that you plug into your port on your TV basically duplicates the effects of a set-top box, and yet you don't have to wire it in or plug it into the wall or all of that. So that strikes me as something that would be fascinating in that it feels like Apple could do that. They would have to probably still have to make some sort of deals with the TV providers. But And we'll have to talk about that potential in a moment with Dan Morin of Macworld on the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough smokers Are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com, or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LaSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Owl Live, ladies and gentlemen. We have Dan Moore in a Mac World magazine talking about what Apple might do, how they cracked the code 
with regard to providing a seamless TV experience. Now, just using a different port, maybe it's a little simpler, I don't know. you still got the same set-top boxes. I guess the key here with an Apple-connected TV is you are free of set-top boxes. All you need to do is plug them in. However they plug in from your cable, you're using the coax. Okay? They all use the coax. Even if they've got HDMI, you still have the basic coax. So if you go from your satellite to the Apple TV coax or from your cable to Apple TV, the iTV, whatever, you don't need the set-top box. You bypass it. It all goes through Apple's interface and it's just as plug-and-play as you can get. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm a little skeptical that they would want to, you know, sort of hitch their wagon to the, the something like coax, which has been a long, around for a long time, and it's kind of the well, way Well, partly done. it's because that's what's being offered. Right, I mean, but I mean, you know, you know they example, might offer adapters or stuff like that, but that's just, you know, maybe you would have a little adapter thing at the end of it to fit into this other peripheral port, maybe the special HDMI port that you're talking about. See, the other thing is whether Apple could in and of themselves offer the whole widget, all the content you expect now. They make the deals with the networks. They maybe offer apps for local TV stations so you can get those too. But then the problem is here is if everything is streamed, you look at the ISP, the broadband provider, which also can deliver cable TV, and suddenly... They lose that part of the business, so they also see you using humongous amounts of bandwidth. What do they want to do about that? They're going to charge you more. Suddenly, you don't save over the cable. Right. Well, I mean, and frankly, at the moment, speaking as someone who has only cable internet and not cable television, you already pay a premium if you just want to buy internet. Um, yeah, but this is something where suddenly your bandwidth is going to be far, far in excess of what you're doing now because most people watch TV, what, five, six, seven, eight hours a day or more. And if you're consuming high-definition content every single minute, what's that going to mean in monthly bandwidth charges? I mean, I guess my question is whether if Apple's really trying to produce a device that replaces the TV for everybody who's a TV watcher in America – or whether they're saying, well, we think TV consumption is shifting into a different model. Because if it really is something where it's not just, hey, we're going to let you essentially like get the same service that you get from cable, as opposed to something now where it's much more an on-demand model, right? You don't go to your Apple TV and stream live content for the most part, or just flip through channels. You, you pick a movie or a TV show or something from a particular service and you watch it. And I don't know if they want to get into the field of being essentially a straight-up competitor for cable TV so much as they want to be a straight-up competitor for video-on-demand services. Well, video-on-demand is still just basically the movies and maybe some TV shows, but that changes the whole picture of event television. You know, you know that NCIS on CBS is on at a specific amount of time it's 7 p.m mountain it's you know i guess 8 p.m eastern whatever you know it's on a specific time every week a show like that or you want to watch fringe or you want to watch any of these programs you know they're on a specific time if you don't want to see them then then you use your dvr for later viewing but that's only a small part of the user base but if you have a totally on-demand system then you have a list of programs and whether apple will go with this or not and you simply pay a monthly subscription fee, and you select the programs you want, which are automatically recorded or linked to whatever the way the system works, and then you watch them when you want to watch them. There's no longer event TV except for news. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that's an even news to a certain extent, which is not what it once was in terms of people tuning in because of so much news being available online. I think they see a future very much that involves an on-demand type service rather than people getting a constant stream of multi, you know, hundreds of channels blasted at them all the time, most of which they don't watch, right? Because who could watch that much stuff? I think that they are much more focused on saying we want to let consumers be the ones who choose what they want. Because I think, you know, and a lot of people make that distinction of Apple versus a lot of uh, a lot of other types of companies is Apple is really interested in producing something that the consumer wants as opposed to something like cable TV, which is let's give them a lot of stuff, some of which they want, but make it in such a way that it's really most advantageous to us in terms of cost and, and what we're providing. It's about a la carte content, too, which is a very big issue. Supposedly, they were mandated by the Federal Communications Commission in the U.S. to provide that, and they made it too expensive. So now, in order to get the stations you want, say you like 10 or 20 stations, you have to get three or 400 to get all the various tiers and premium packages and bundles to get those stations you want. And, of course, what makes it even more difficult is the content providers and networks say, okay, Dish Network, okay, Comcast, you want to get this particular station, you got to take all 12. Right. We'll give you, so, you know, of course, they're the constant abusers. How does Apple get around it? In the end, and this we can go on to forever, forgetting whether Jonathan Ives, Sir Jonathan, has the prototype TV in his studio, his design studio, and I bet he does. I'm not surprised. Apple has lots of things like that. Forgetting about that, do you think Apple's going to do it? I think that there's something coming. I think there's some sort of television based product coming possibly this year maybe not but i think i think there is something because i think that living room market is just too attractive there's too much potential to be gained from appealing to all of those people all those customers in the same way that i don't think they could resist staying out of the cell phone market because it was just it was too ripe they look at that field and they say nobody has done a good job and so what can we do that's going to really stick us in there and and that's what apple traditionally does i mean mp3 players and smartphones both existed before apple got into the field but apple changed the game and redefined what those products meant and so i think to see that i, I would not be surprised to see them try something like that in the living room and, of course, the problem is here is that the TV makers are trying to figure it out. They're trying to offer 3D TV. Nobody wants it, really. Nobody cares about 3D. How many movies do they make in 3D? And most of those fail. Just, you know, once Avatar came out, they all said, gee, 3D's coming to its own after the House of Wax back in the 1950s. 3D, we're going to make 3D work. They didn't make it work. Yeah. still doesn't do it. You know, all this stuff, all these trends, connected TV, let's add all these things with confusing interfaces. They haven't figured out what's going on. If Apple does, good. The more the merrier. Let's look at a few other things before we let you go, Dan Moran of Macworld. Story you wrote this week. Normally we have the situation here where Apple is suing anyone and everybody about intellectual property. And here they actually had to pay a little bit of money because they lost a case. What happened? Well, there's a Taiwanese company called Elon uh, Microelectronics. Uh, and these guys, strangely enough, I actually knew about these guys from a previous line of work in that I was a, uh, I worked in IT for a while and we had some of these crazy uh, all-in-one IBM desktops. This was probably circa 2003 or four, And I think they were even a little bit old at that point. And they were outfitted with touchscreen displays. Now, these were the touchscreen displays in the days before multi-touch where it was, they were kind of clunky and basically the idea was you could sort of tap on the screen and it would just, the cursor would follow wherever your finger went. So it was not, not a great system, but I noticed that these the, those touchscreen panels were made by this company, Elon. And so that's basically what they did. They, they had a couple 
patents related to touchscreen technology. They, you know, sued Apple basically, I think in 2009, over two patents. And they said, well, you've got this, you know, your iPod Touch and your, your MacBooks and your, your iPhone, and they're all using this stuff that we think infringes upon our patents. And so, you know, they went to court. Uh, the Elon also asked the uh, International Trade Commission, the U.S. ITC, to look into this. ITC eventually came back and said, actually, we don't think Apple has violated trade law. So they're good to go. Uh, but in terms of the sort of ongoing court case, um, we got news this week that the two companies settled. And so in, as a result, Apple paid Elon $5 million. And more importantly, I think this is really the key, is both companies got the right to use each other's patents. Um, so Apple paid $5 million essentially for the rights to use these patents instead of having to go to court. And Elon got access to some Apple patents. Presumably it's not really disclosed what patents. And it may um, also be here that this particular company is doing some sort of work that Apple finds interesting besides $5 million is chump change. For Apple, which has you know eighty billion dollars in the bank, yeah, it's a fraction of a percent, so it doesn't really hurt them. And rumors were last year that they were uh, Elon had been offered a hundred million dollar settlement, which is either totally incorrect or their lawyers just really aren't very good at math. They need new lawyers. We have Dan Morin of MacWorld Magazine. He's not a lawyer, nor am I. Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? More important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for a 
approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and Body Extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for long and healthy life. Ready to save while getting prepared? Then you're ready for the winter sale at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Take advantage of the incredible savings on all items at 21stCenturyGoods.com. Portable AM, FM, and shortwave radios from 1995. American Red Cross emergency radios and Cato radios from 2895. Solar lanterns from 2295. Solar flashlights, two for 1695. Hand crank LED hurricane lanterns and flashlights from 895. Be sure to check out the flexible solar panels to power your emergency and survival gear. Every order over $75 will receive a solar-powered flashlight absolutely free. So get prepared this winter by visiting 21stCenturyGoods.com. Spelled the number 2, the number 1, S-T, CenturyGoods.com, 21stCenturyGoods.com, or call 866-999-8422. That's 866-999-8422. 21stCenturyGoods.com. Power up your survival. you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Dan Morin of Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We are exploring a number of things here, Apple and the lawsuit game, the possible Apple-connected TV. So with the other lawsuits that Apple is engaged in, I notice as this goes on, there are even more of these touchscreen patents that Apple's gotten rights for. So, for example, there's one that I just read about here. Among, what, 13 different patents, this one is the way you list things on the iPhone. So, for example... It's called list editing. And let me explain what this is. So say, for example, you're looking at your bookmarks. You see a list of bookmarks. And by using your finger, you can slide it to the right to delete the bookmark or click the minus key, all that stuff. This capability, this list editing, is one for which Apple has received a patent. Now, how do they do that on Android? I, you know, I've only used Android a bit and I'm not sure how they do it, but, you know, in this, I think a lot of these times it's, a lot of these cases where these patents, it's, you know, you just got to find something that looks or acts slightly differently. And that's certainly the most, you know, Apple believes this way is the most elegant and straightforward way. And that that may very well be true. Um, But it's also a question of whether or not it wants to take the time to, you know, sue all these companies, which it certainly is in some circumstances. But the, the problem with patents are always just that, you know, obviously you got lawyers involved. They can be interpreted in different ways. So every time that you want to stop one of your competitors, you've got to take them to court, which is expensive and time consuming and all of that. But at the same time, the way the patent system currently works, you know, if you don't file and have a patent, then you have no, you have no case. You can't protect your, your intellectual property in any way. And so, if you don't sue, 
when it's infringed yeah. upon, it's basically saying that the other party has the right to use it. Yeah, it's well, implicit. I mean, I, don't I sue, think. don't defend, you lose your right. So, you know, obviously... Apple's got to play this game, as do all of the electronics makers, because they all need to protect their investments and their products. Um, honestly, it's <laughs> it's a little tiring. I will say, having written a number of stories about patent litigation in the past several years, it's just we kind of wish everybody would would stop. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, it's the way of the world right now. Okay, so how does Apple resolve something like this? Do they license some parts of their technology? They don't want to get into the situation, I guess, that happened with Microsoft where Bill Gates made a deal, a very foolish deal, with John Scully back in the 1980s to license certain parts of the Mac OS from which he created Windows. Then Apple tried to sue Microsoft, but because Microsoft got certain parts of the technology, this thing dragged on in the courts for years until they finally made their settlement. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates made this settlement, I guess, in 1997, and that resolved the situation. So... More or less, these days, Apple and Microsoft kind of <laughs> play nice with each other for the well, most part because the Mac platform is a source of a decent amount of revenue for Microsoft. But, okay, how does Apple handle something like that? Obviously, they don't want, if they feel their property is being infringed upon, they don't want to allow Google and their partners to continue using it. But this could be a Cold War that lasts forever, and the lawyers love it. Right. And I, I mean, I think if you look at the indications of what, what Apple has done, um, and, you know, of course, Tim Cook has said a number of times, even back when he was uh, uh, the uh, COO of Apple, that, you know, Apple, they really, they don't mind competition. They just really want people not to steal their stuff. And so they'll vigorously defend whatever they have to. And so you can see from the past year or two that Apple has sued, definitely has sued, you know, its competitors. But it's interesting that to note that it sued the two companies that it primarily sued are HTC and Samsung, both of whom are hardware manufacturers and Android licensees. They did not sue Google, um, and that's that's a, a I think a, a relevant point because it shows to me that they aren't necessarily interested in going after just what you know the the operating system so much as they are concerned about you know things that look and feel too much like an iPhone um, it's the it sort of end user Google. product the end user experience right. not so much the OS and it, i don't know if that's because they feel like their case would be harder to make against Google or whether because they still have some deals with Google they don't want to open that can of worms or what have you but for whatever reason they have decided to sidestep Google for the time being, and focus on the people that are licensing Android. Is there possibly an unspoken agreement here, despite, of course, the public posturing? You know, where Steve Jobs says, I'm going to get those people, sounds like the worldwide wrestling sort of thing. You know, I'm yeah. going to beat them till they're gone. How dare they steal our intellectual property? But they're not suing Google, so you think maybe they privately have an understanding yeah, on some elements go- of technology saying, look, you know, if we feel our property is being infringed upon, we will go to the companies who build the product and resolve it there. But we're not going to go after it directly with you. And meantime, we both make money from each other. I think that would be a difficult situation, like sort of a <laughs> difficult situation to maintain, if only because that would, you know, that's basically Google throwing its its partners under a bus. And that might be. <laughs> they did that already. They bought Motorola. They- yeah, don't be evil. I mean, so I think... Yeah, yeah but they did that with Motorola. They, they bought did, Motorola well, Mobility, so therefore, they are, to some degree, throwing their partners under the bus. Of course, Microsoft has done that, so maybe they're taking a lesson from Microsoft. 
Yeah, or or maybe they just have their own particular, or maybe there's just I I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about the legal intricacies to say, uh, other than I think you know Apple's probably decided it has a better shot at, at taking on these other companies, or you know a better case in terms of presenting it. So it may be that they engage with Google at some point head on, but I don't think we've hit that yet. So maybe at some particular point in time there will be that fight to the death, or maybe you know. There is so much fragmentation in the Android market, and we're seeing more of it now because of the Amazon Kindle Fire using an old version of Android, but still, in a sense, competing in a much more successful fashion, maybe a little bit with the iPad, but more with the tablets in the Android market, that the whole thing's going to self-destruct anyway eventually. I mean, look at it now where those companies, some of those companies making Android handsets have to pay a check to Microsoft. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, some savvy moving on Microsoft's part, of course. Um, but it, it is, it's a, it's a very complicated industry right now. It seems like everybody's suing each other and the intellectual property is, is just sort of running rampant and everybody's got a case against everybody else. So it's hard to say exactly who's on top in this current arrangement because it seems like the money just keeps changing hands from partner to partner to partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, you know, we're seeing a war that's being fought on multiple fronts, both in terms of the consumer marketplace and in terms of the courts. Uh, and so it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to pan out. Or it may just go on year after year, and soon we will all get so bored we won't care. And I think it's getting to a point of that already. I yes. mean, I read the latest lawsuit of the month, day, week approach, and I gather because you've covered it so much, you've got to be bored to death writing this stuff. Well, you know, especially for people who are not. Uh, you know, I'm not, hardly a legal expert in any sense of the word. So, you know, and it's very technical and very dry and it's not, you know, not something that interests me as much as technology itself. I'm much more interested in covering technology than I am in covering, you know, litigation. <laughs> so from that result, um, it's just much more, it's much more interesting to talk about other things. Well, at least with products, you have the good, the bad, the gray areas, you have sales, that's pretty well obvious. But with court cases, they're largely non-predictable because very seldom are they so cut and dry. There are always little gray areas, and a really smart legal team will simply emphasize the gray areas and keep a case going for years and years until one side says uncle. Right, and not only that, but a lot of it's carried on behind closed doors or you know, hidden away in findings that you have to dig up. It's an extremely specific kind of field, and you know, if you don't have the legal background necessarily, a lot of it sounds like gibberish. Well, we've had enough gibberish in our lifetimes. Dan Morin, tell us what you're working on for Macworld, what we can look forward to. Working on a variety of stories, as always. I'm trying to think if I'm working on anything particular right now. Uh, I think I've got a feature coming out in one of our quickly uh, appearing magazine issues about working on the iPad. And I um, recently did some other stuff iOS related, but it's kind of here and there and everywhere right now. He's like an old Beatles song. By the way, if you want to find more of what we do, check us out at technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com. Write us news at technightowl.com. News at technightowl.com. Technightowl is also our Twitter name at technightowl. We've got the other radio show, the Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night, including this week with a guy named Nick Redfern, weird places like Area 51 you have to keep out of. Special thank you on the Tech Night Out Live to Dan Morin. Thanks for joining us on this week's show. Thanks for having me, Gene. 
The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.